0: But today we do wrap up on common Prayer. And what we've been learning these last few weeks is that God is always wanting us to go deeper with Him. Always challenging us to get into deeper routines and habits of the way we worship, the way we seek Him, and the way we pray to Him. And this whole series has been challenging us about what it means to pray up to God. We learned that two weeks ago. Praying up requires that we acknowledge God, reminds us that everything we have is His And it realigns our motives and our purposes and our agendas to what His calling is in our life. Last week we learned about what it means to pray in. And I just heard really good feedback throughout the week on that message about how we have to admit our deep, desperate need for God. We have to believe that He is who He says He is, that He's able uh, to rescue us and to save us. And then we need to confess, right? We need to confess that God's Word is what's true in our life and we need to proclaim and we need to declare things over our life. This week, we finish up looking at what it means to pray out. How do we pray for others? This whole idea of praying out is built on the assumption that you have community, that you have people to pray for. Now, we pray for our families. We pray for our children. We pray for our parents. We pray for our close loved ones. But this is looking more at a bigger picture of what does it mean to pray corporately corporately as a group of people for one another. And it's built on the idea that you have community. So today's message is, is really emphasizing the importance of community. And wow, do we need to hear this message today, perhaps more than ever. The big idea doesn't change. The big idea of the series remains the same. Many people begin the year saying, I want to do things differently. I want to seek God deeper. I want to pray more. I want to be a more disciplined disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, you can never become the person you've never been unless you do things you've never done. The habits need to change, right? You can never say, I want to be someone different, but keep doing the same things in your life. And this series has been a moment for us to look at our prayer life And to say, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently so I can become the different person that I'm wanting to become? And we really need this third element. Prayer is not uh, consumeristic, where it's just, okay, I'll pray to God. That sounds good. After all, He's God. He deserves that. All right, sounds good. Check the box there. All right, I'm going to pray for myself because, hey, I love me, I'm important. What I think and what I have to say, I know God wants to hear, so okay, I'll check that box. But other people, not so much. Well, it doesn't work that way. We really need this third element to round us out and to complete our life in prayer. And Psalms 122 is saying that we need to be praying for one another. We need to be asking God to use us To not only pray for one another, but love one another, serve one another, bless one another with the truth and the grace of Christ. This Psalm 122, the authorship is credited to David. Now that's in question. Some people believe that, some people do not believe that. I don't think that's relevant for today. But what we do know is that this psalm is a psalm of ascent. These are 15 psalms that were written in the book of Psalms that were often sung by groups of people, just like we sing in worship here together, just like maybe you sing together with your family. These psalms were sung as groups of people gathered together. And the times when they would sing these psalms are important. These were the psalms that were sung as people were traveling together, as people were moving through really a desert uh, to come and to gather in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was this amazing city, this city that David had built. It was called the City of David. And in the middle of the city was the temple, and the temple was the place where God's presence dwelled, where they had the Ark of the Covenant. And three times a year, the Jewish people, no matter where you lived from, they would band together, they would get their things together, and they would journey, they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festivals, for the feasts that they were called to uh, take part of as part of their religion. The Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of the Festival of Tents. These were feasts where people would come and remember the goodness of God, remember how God had brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, how God had given them this city, how God had given them this presence, how God had provided for them in in the desert right with manna from heaven with the cloud of His presence, with the fire of His presence. People would come and remember God's goodness in providing. So at the beginning of every harvest season, the people would come, everyone would gather the best, the first fruits of their increase, come to Jerusalem, and they would offer them to the Lord. Then at the end of the harvest season, again people would come together, bring the best of the end of the harvest season, and give it as an offering to the Lord. And I want you to get the mental picture of people banding together, saying, it's coming, that's it, the trip is here, the trip is here, we're going together. And as these bands and these families would gather together in droves, I mean multitudes of people, as they walked, as they got nearer step by step to Jerusalem, to the presence of God, to the house of the Lord, what was on their lips? These psalms. These were the psalms they were singing as they were traveling together, moving together. Whether you were coming from near or whether you were coming from far, people were singing, people were rejoicing. Why? Because they were moving together deeper into the presence of God. Arriving at the gates of the house of the Lord. And this psalm serves as a reminder for us of what our attitude should be, of what our culture should be as a people of God who seeks Him together. So let's start here in Psalm 122. And the way I'm going to frame this message is is I I want us to read the psalm. I want to point out some truths of the psalm. Then I want to give us some real practical prayers to pray. To pray out for others. That our culture, that who we are as God's people would be the same as those who were singing these psalms. So Psalm 122 begins like this in verse 1. It says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord, and now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, and now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. The first truth of the culture of people who pray out, a culture of a people who are seeking God together, is that seeking God together is a journey that brings joy. It's a journey that brings joy. Here the people are saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was the Lord's temple. The people were gathering to go there together. And there was an infectious joy. There was a real sense of community saying, hey, we're all doing this together. We're on this trip together. We're walking together. We're pressing deeper into the presence of God together. With every step you take, with every step I take, together, together, let us go. We get deeper into God's presence. We're almost there. This let us go into the house of the Lord, the meaning behind it is more emphatic. It wasn't, hey, let us go there. Yeah, let's go there. All right, sounds good. Let's go. No, it was more of a feeling of we will go there. We will go to the house of the Lord. It was emphatic. It was determined. It was a choice. It wasn't a, you know, hey, it sounds good. Yeah, I'm not doing nothing for the next few days. Yeah, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go hang out. No, it was saying we are going to the house of the Lord. And I am glad because of that. And there was a great joy of being around other worshipers to go and to praise God. And David, who was known for his passion... For his worship, worshiped so deeply that one time fell right out of his clothes. Didn't even realize it. Other people were criticizing his passion for worship. David takes part of this journey as well. Now David doesn't have to go too far, because David has his palace right there in Jerusalem. So it's just a short walk for David. But even though it was a short walk for David, even though it was the morning commute, if you will, for David, even in the morning commute, David is saying, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm stuck in traffic. I'm glad I'm dealing with all these people. I'm glad that I'm in this multitude. Why? Because we're all going deeper into the presence of the Lord. There's something about David who understood God in his heart, right? This was a man after God's own heart, who when he was around other worshipers, other believers, praising, singing, God looked around and said, This feels right. This just feels good. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in church? Or have you ever been around people who are praising and worshiping, worshiping God? Maybe a prayer meeting, maybe a small group meeting. And when you're in that company, you can't help but say, this feels good. This is what's right. Man, this is what living is. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's something good there's something that we should be glad about when we come and we gather together. Now, where they were going was Jerusalem. And what made Jerusalem important? It wasn't the streets. It wasn't the alleys. It wasn't the buildings. It wasn't the parks in Jerusalem. It wasn't the church lights. It wasn't the stage. It wasn't none of this stuff. What was important about going to Jerusalem? That's where God's presence dwelled. It was God's presence. They're saying, we're going there, not because it's a beautiful city. And trust me, it was a beautiful city. They weren't going there because it was a beautiful temple. And trust me, it was a beautiful temple. They were going there because that's where God's presence was. That was the magnet and they were the metal. The pool of Jerusalem was God's presence. What was driving them, what was motivating them to do this together was saying, look, we're inside the gates. We're here. We've made it. We're in the city of God, in his temple. This reminds me a little bit when we used to drive, you heard it in the morning show, we used to take family vacations and we were crazy, right? We would drive to Florida, 19 hours, non-stop, I would, the whole thing. We would stop to eat, we would stop to use the bathroom, we would stop to get gas, It wasn't an easy journey. My kids were young, but we were on our way. Songs would come on the radio. Everyone is singing. Everyone is happy. Everyone is excited. Hey, we're going somewhere together. We know what we were going to. There was a pool. There was an attraction. There was a joy. It was infectious. And everyone was laughing and everyone was enjoying the company. Why? Because we were on a journey together to get somewhere where we knew when we get there, there's something good waiting for us. Family time, vacation. Now the trip back, not so much, right? Everyone was asleep most of the time. They're zonked out. They're tired. They're cranky. Are we there yet? We just want to get home. So we rejoice. There's something about love that makes burdens lighter, that makes distances shorter, right? Because we love what we're getting towards. Now what's interesting is that Nobody sings and nobody laughs, and nobody really has, you know, joy in their heart when you say, Oh, I just can't wait this morning to get stuck in I 55 traffic. We don't sing for joy over that, right? There's no gladness that comes to you when you know you have to deal with the traffic of your morning commute. But here, this was something that David did regularly. David did this on a regular basis, and because worship and because praise was part of his common discipline as a believer in God, he rejoiced when he was in the presence of other believers. He rejoiced when he was stuck in traffic. He rejoiced when it was a struggle to get there because he knew he, knew he was going to the temple. He never took it for granted, this great privilege that he had to journey together with God's people. And the first feeling was gladness that, hey, we're going to the house of the Lord. But that second special feeling was when you got there. And I don't know about you, but there was something about when me and my kids, when we would get to the place where we were, getting, we were trying to get to, you would see a sign. I'll never forget a few years ago, maybe six years ago or so, we went to Washington, D.C., and from far we saw the Washington Monument. And there was something special about that, to say, look, we're here. And I want you to get the image of a people journeying towards a city called Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built on a hill. And as you got closer, the city would come into view. And I want you to to imagine this group of people, this mass of people journeying together, singing songs of joy, singing songs of, Lord, we're glad that we're coming to your house and that we're coming together. And then they say, we're here. We're in your gates, Oh, Jerusalem, There's something that should be piquing our hearts when we enter into a church building, when we enter into a, a, a place where God's people are, are gathered together, where we have that same emotion, we have that same feeling, and we say, Lord, we're here. We made it. I'm in your house. This is why church and coming to church is so important, so essential, so relevant And should be so at the core of what we do today. Because faith builds faith. You see, when you seek God more, it makes me want to seek God more. You coming here to this place, you joining us online, makes me want to keep coming to this place. Makes me enjoying this place more. The steps of faith and obedience that you take on your faith journey, man, they encourage and motivate my faith journey. When I see people raising their hands in deep worship, right, proclaiming God's goodness to an audience of one, man, that spurs on my worship. I want to worship God deeper. Why? Because our faith motivates one another. These people, with every step they took, they were motivating one another to say, let's go to God's house, and when we get there, we'll all proclaim, we're here, God. Speak, move orientate me now I, I know god's omnipresent right the book of acts in chapter 7 says the most high doesn't live in temples made of human hands the word proclaims that there's you, we don't need to travel to jerusalem now to a, to a building to experience the presence of god the presence of god is everywhere It's in us. And I've heard people twist this to say, well, I don't got to go to church because God doesn't dwell in a temple made of human hands. God's presence is in this place. Why? Because this is a church building? No, God's presence is in this place because God's presence is in us and we are in this church building. So what is it that we're coming for? When, we, when I hear people say, I don't go to, need to go to church because God's presence is not really there. God's presence is in me, and I could do church by myself. You know, I'll feed myself. I say baloney. You are missing out on one of the greatest blessings of being a follower of Christ, which is the community of believers, the body of Christ coming together, faith-building faith, worship-encouraging worship, To say, we're journeying together, and we miss out on the ride. It's like, it it would be like my family, each one of my kids and I driving separate. And when we get there, say, oh, we're, we're, we're here. But we miss out on that ride together. And oftentimes, the ride together is what blesses you, because it's in the ride together where we join together as family. You see, when God saved you, when Jesus saved you, he saved you into a family The Bible says we were once orphans, but we were adopted as dear children, and now we are called children of God. That means we share the same spiritual father. That makes us brothers and sisters. That's why you hear people when they come to church, they say, hey, what's up, bro? Hey, sister. It's not only a term of endearment, but it's a term of truth. It is a term of truth. You are my brother. You are my sister. We share the same father. There's no such thing as solo Christians. It's a privilege that we give. It's a blessing that God gives us for us to be able to do life together. The ups, we celebrate with one another. Man, when you get a promotion, I celebrate you. I cheer you on. That makes my day. Hey, when you're struggling and you're hurting, I'm hurting. With one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts, right? When one mourns, we all mourn. This is what makes church so relevant, so important, so privileged, is that our lives and our community is linked together, and it should be marked by worship and deep joy. Worship and deep joy. So what does that look like on a practical level? Well, on a practical level, in church, that means us having services, us having groups, us having times of prayer, us having opportunities where you could come and serve and bless people, events where we could come and... And get to know one another. That's, that's our part of church. But what does this mean for you? That means you participating in those. It means you saying, hey, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And when you come and when you enter in, you say, Lord, we're here. It means you participating in these. It means you being proactive. It means you being open about your life. And it means you taking ownership of your walk. To say, when the Lord calls us to his house, I will not just say, let us go. I will say, we will go. We will go. So this calls us to pray out. Now this is something very practical for you to pray out. Pray out for a commitment to gather. To gather consistently. To gather expectantly. When these people came to Jerusalem... They went there expecting something. They went there expecting to encounter the presence of God. That's why David said, this feels right. This makes me glad. Because we get to experience the presence of God. Not just me, but us together in God's house. So pray out for a commitment of God's people to gather, number one, but to gather consistently And you heard the announcement, we're open, we're reopened, we intend to remain open. And this is a call to come back, come back to God's house. To gather expectantly that when we come here, we come here not just to say hello to one another, not just to take up a seat, but we come here expecting to be encountered by the presence of God. That we would gather with a lavish worship that's marked by joy. So that's what we pray out for. Now, the writer of the psalm takes the city and he says, we are like this city. What is Jerusalem like? In verse 3, the writer says this, Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of our Lord and as as the lord requires as the law requires of israel and here stands the thrones where judgment is given the thrones of the dynasty of david so the writer of the psalm here is describing jerusalem and how it's built it mentions its people then he mentions the thrones and and what this part of the psalm is teaching us is that uh, our culture of seeking god together means obedience as a family of deep love. That means that we are marked by our praise and our obedience as a church family, as one people, by deep love. He says that Jerusalem is a well-built city. Like I said, Jerusalem was built on a hill. It had walls, these massive walls that were built surrounding the city to protect it from invasion. And the walls, the writer here describes them being seamless That means there was no gaps in these walls. That means there was no weak areas of these walls. They were so firmly put together. This was an engineering marvel. Before this, walls were made just of round rocks and square rocks just joined together. No, No, these rocks were cut perfectly so that they would join together in a seamless wall. That there would be no way an enemy could break through it. That means that these connections between the walls were strong. This is an image. Jerusalem is an image of God's people. And what Jerusalem is being an image of here is saying, as God's people, we should be so tightly knitted together. Right? We are all, to coin the words of the 1970s British rock band Pink Floyd, we are all bricks in this wall. We are the wall. That means your space and my space. We come together to form the people of God, and we should be seamless. We should be tightly connected. The Bible says that we are knitted together, right? That we're like a blanket that's knit together, that the body of Christ, just as a human body, is knit together. There's no disjointedness here. I'm seamless. I'm one body. We are one body, and our walls should be tight. That means that we're protecting one another. That means that we... Uh, watch for one another, right? We bless one another. We help one another because we are an image like Jerusalem. We are a city that's well-built and we are a people who are well-built, knitted together tightly, seamless for our benefit. It also says that the city was a compact city. That means that Jerusalem, in, in, in the times of Jesus, it was a tight, quartered city. That means your place was literally right next to someone else's place. And when you're living in a dry, arid, desert place, they had no shut and closed windows. Everything was open. That means you heard your neighbor's conversations. They heard your conversations. That means you shared the same water wells. That means you shared the same plazas where you would go and spend time during the day. That means there was a deep sense of community because the city was close. And what the writer of the psalm is saying is, as people of God, we should be close. We should be talking to one another. We should be sharing life with one another. Why? Because we are a well-built city. Jerusalem is a metaphor for God's people. How we should be and how we will be. The book of Revelation in chapter 3 talks about a future Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem, which we will all live in if you are a believer of Jesus. This new Jerusalem will be our home, and it symbolizes of how we are to be as a people. One people in the presence of God, living together, worshiping together, praising together, and glad to be doing it. So we need to pray out for a strongly connected church family. Pray that a deep love be nurtured here for God and for one another that we would be this well-built city, that we would be a church that's seamless, no gaps. And if there is a gap, that we would stand in that gap, that we would fill that gap for one another through prayer, through love, through service. Now, this portion of the psalm also mentions the 12 tribes of Israel, how they would come and they would gather here. So the image of Israel is not only a secure city with walls that cannot be breached, but also a city that's united, 12 tribes, different histories, different traditions, different tribal celebrations, but same ancestry. All belong to the Lord. What this is saying here is that these were a people who were very different from one another, but yet were one. That there was diversity in Jerusalem, but yet there was unity Woven within the diversity of Jerusalem. And this is very important for our culture today because if there's one thing that's happening today in today's culture is we group everyone. Conservatives, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, progressives, you label people and what that does is it keeps everyone separated and what it's doing is it's dividing God's people. And what this is saying here is in the city, everyone was mixed in together. Twelve tribes. Different opinions, different histories, different traditions, different backgrounds. But all God's people. And when it came time to come into God's presence and to worship at one another, there was gladness and there was joy. And this is what we should be as God's people. Remember, Jerusalem is an image of what we are to be as God's people. And the moment the church cannot fellowship with one another because we have these different cultural identities, that's when we've taken our eyes of what really matters in our walk with God. Because we've let our earthly identifiers take the place of our heavenly identifiers. When what should identify us is our common belief in Jesus. So we need to pray out. We need to pray out for a spirit-filled unity amidst of the diversity of the family of God and that we would protect it. That we would protect it. That God would keep this place united. That there wouldn't be divisions in this church, that there would be no cracks in our walls. But that we would be seamless with one another. Now, it says in the psalm that the people came to give thanks. To give thanks to the Lord, and that's the why. Why do we come? We come to give thanks and to praise His name. Listen, coming to church and being part of the church, it's not a place to just socialize and make friends. That happens here. That's what happens here. We socialize, we make friends here, but that's not the reason why we come here. This is not a place to come and get fixed. become normal, even though you do find healing, hope, and heaven here. You find that here. But that's not the reason we come here. We don't come here to get fixed. This is not a place where you come to push your agenda, your platform, your popularity, even though God will rewrite your agenda to be used for his purposes. That's what happens here. But we don't come here to push our agenda. The purpose of God's people gathering is that we would give praise and thanks to Yahweh, to God. And that's what the people here did. They came to give thanks to God. So we need to pray out that we would never tire of worship and that we would never minimize praise. This is why we gather. This is a worship service because when we come here, our sole purpose is to give God thanks, to praise His name, and to worship Him. We need to pray that our people, that this church would never tire of that kind of worship. That we wouldn't minimize it to something else. That is why we gather. Now the psalmist continues to say this is what's required. He's speaking of obedience. We didn't make this gathering up. New Life Community Church didn't say we're going to meet on Sundays because it seems good. There was no democratic vote in the early days of the church to say, hey, let's be a group of people who gathers together. Could we all agree to that? This is not our thought. We gather as one people to praise and thank God in obedience because it's what He's commanded. This is not a human invention, this is God's design. And this is God's command to his people, that we would gather together, that we would join together, and that we would come to give thanks and praise to him. It's his idea. It's for him. It's not our idea. It's not for us. It's his. So in obedience, we come and we do that. So we need to pray out for hearts of uncompromising obedience, living in total alignment with the Word of God. The last thing the psalmist mentions here in this part of the psalm are these thrones. These thrones are symbols of God's authority. These are the thrones that will be used in judgment. And in this kingdom, God is king of all. The thrones of the house of David uh, will bring judgment, are an expression of God's authority over all his people. And we are under that authority. There is no greater authority, no pastor, no preacher, no leader, no government, no policy, no politics, no party. There's only one true authority in our life, and that's God, Jesus Christ, the King of all who will give us the judgment that we deserve. So we need to pray out for humble hearts, submitted and fearing God, that we would celebrate His good judgment. So let's wrap up the psalm. In verse 6, we started with the position before God of being glad of coming to God's house. Then we talked about the people of God being like the city of Jerusalem, coming to give thanks to God and understanding God's authority. And now the psalmist here emphasizes prayer once again. He says, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. So the culture of people who worship God and seek God together means praying and working for the peace and prosperity of our families, of our church, and of our community. You see the layers here in these verses of of, of Psalm uh, 122 and verses 6 through through 9. It begins with the city, then it moves on to the family, and then it moves back to God. And the emphasizes here the power of prayer for one another. The truth is this, we belong to one another. We need one another, so we must pray for one another, help one another. What does he pray for? He says, let there be peace, shalom, in Jerusalem. This is meaning a prayer for the people of the city, for the ways of life in the city, for the government of the city, the leadership of the city, the entirety of the city. The the psalmist is saying, let us pray for the peace of God's people, of God's body. Entirety. This peace means a completeness, a wholeness, a soundness, a welfare, a safety, a prosperity. The root word here is to be integral, to be united, to be one. And and the psalmist is saying we need to pray for the peace of this city. Praying out. This is a prayer that's not focused on you. It's a prayer focused on us. It says those who love you, that means those who breathe after you, those who have an affection for you, it says let them prosper. Now, when it says that those who pray o- o- over Jerusalem will prosper, it doesn't mean that God's going to increase your bank account, even though he could do that. It's all things are in God's power. When it's saying that when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you will prosper, it means you will grow in spiritual maturity. Not materially, but you will experience the peace that you're praying for Jerusalem. You will experience that peace. You will experience that ease. You will experience that fullness and completeness of being whole before God, just like you're praying for Jerusalem to experience. So the same prayer that you're praying for the city of Jerusalem, you're praying for yourself. It's saying, may there be peace in your walls. That means that the defenses of the city, the fortifications of the city. And it says, the prosperity in your palaces, those are the highest and strongest places of the city. So, So the walls were the low parts of the city, and the palaces were the high parts of the city. And it's saying, Lord, we're covering this entire city. From the low parts... To the high parts, Lord, let your peace and let your prosperity be in this city. And, and, and let me say this. When we pray for safety, when we pray for God's covering, when we pray that there would be peace in something, that doesn't mean that there's absence of danger. This, this safety doesn't consist of an absence of danger. But it's a peace that consists of the presence of God in the midst of danger. That even though there's danger, you still have peace. Our city is broken. And we will have danger in our city. We need to accept that. Lest God comes and brings revival, which he can. But the peace that we experience is not predicated on all the danger being gone. No, the danger could still be there. But we still have what? Peace. So we need to pray out. We need to pray out for God's peace to permeate our city, to bless those who love our city, protect our city, lead our city, govern our city, and for the broken systems and places in our city, we need to pray for shalom, for peace. And the psalmist ends the psalm by bringing it to family. He's saying, for the sake of my family and friends, those are your loved ones who live with you in your place, you should also pray this same shalom over them. He says, for the sake of our Lord, the temple, God's presence, and God's place, I will seek your prosperity. I will seek what's best for you. That means I will search out. I will do what's required for you, O Lord, for your people, for Jerusalem, and for your dwelling place. So we need to pray out for our family for the church, family, and our community. Now this is what you should pray out for your family. That God's design would be in every relationship. That God's presence would be revered and honored. And that we as God's people would bring the values of God's kingdom into every sphere of our life. That the culture that we bring into our families, into our workplaces, into the city, into the suburbs, would be values of God's kingdom. That means education, work, government, systems of justice, in every area from the walls to the palaces that God's kingdom values would permeate, that God's kingdom values would rule in these places. What's interesting, and let me finish with this. We know from the Word that Jerusalem will not experience peace until the Lord himself returns. It's part of the eschatological, prophetic kind of layout of Jesus' return that Jerusalem will be a city that's always in danger. And for the greater part of 3,000 years, it's been that way. And quite honestly, it will be that way until the Lord returns and the Lord takes up his throne in that place then the peace, the shalom of God, will be present in Jerusalem. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what we're essentially praying is, Lord Jesus, come. Because only you will bring peace to this place. No human accord, no human peace treaty will ever truly attain peace in Jerusalem. What will bring peace to Jerusalem is the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ that is coming. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, What we're saying is, Lord Jesus, come. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray, Lord Jesus, bring your kingdom to Jerusalem. Bring your kingdom to my family. Bring your kingdom to my heart. Bring your kingdom to our city. Bring your kingdom to my workplace. Bring your kingdom to my marriage. Bring your kingdom to my children. Bring your kingdom, Lord God, to our government. Bring your kingdom, Lord God, to our church. Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that Jesus and the values of his kingdom would permeate, fill, drench, saturate our families, our church community, our cities, our world. It's this gladness, this joy that God gives us when we pray for the prosperity of his people. We need to commit to seek God together. We need to be dedicated to praise and obedience, and we need to pray and work for the peace and prosperity of all of God's people and all of his world. This is what we mean by praying out. The journey together. The special feeling of saying all of us are doing something very special here. We're on this journey where together we walk deeper into the presence of God. And when we get there together, we stand back and we say, we're here. Lord, move. Do something in my life. But while we're doing that, what are we doing? We're praying. We're praying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace. Pray that God and his kingdom would come and rule in our hearts and our city forever. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together?